I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest is a best-selling author and speaker and is recognized as one of the world's foremost figures in leadership, team culture, and mindset. For over 30 years, Alistair McCaw has consulted and worked with some of the most successful athletes, coaches, leaders, and organizations in the world. He's worked with numerous Olympians, Paralympians, world champion athletes, Grand Slam champions, Fortune 500 companies, and top NCAA colleges. Alistair is also a 29-time marathon finisher and a former five-time world championship competitor in the sport of duathlon. As an author of five best-selling books, he continues to fulfill his passion and purpose by teaching, inspiring, and motivating people all over the world. You're going to love this episode because Alistair actually turned the tables on me a few times and started asking some great questions, which made for some awesome conversation. There's a lot to learn here for athletes, coaches, and parents, so listen up. Pursuit peeps, I'm super excited to tell you about something special that I'm working on for you right now. The holiday season is right around the corner and I'm going to be offering some really special new packages that will only be available during the week of Thanksgiving. They're not currently available and will not be available again after that week is over. So if you wanna be one of the first people to receive a special digital catalog to learn more about this amazing opportunity, just go to laurawilkinson.com slash catalog. Remember, this special opportunity will only be available for one week. So sign up to learn more at laurawilkinson.com slash catalog. Before we start, make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you're enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. It means a lot to me as a host and it helps us bring on amazing guests. Please tell your friends about this podcast so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level so that we can bring you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Alistair McCaw, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am really excited to pick your champion-minded brain today. Laura, thank you so much. It's an honor being here. It's not every day you get invited onto an Olympic gold medalist and world champions podcast, so thank you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, of course. Um, I mean, as soon as I found you on Instagram, I was like, we have got to have this guy on. Everything that you post, I'm like, yes, this, this, this. It's so good. But before we get into all that good stuff, I really kind of want to know how or where your mindset was kind of first developed. I'm assuming it's from your journey as an athlete, but I would kind of like to hear the backstory. Yeah, sure. Well, just as we were discussing before we went on air, I'm, I'm from a family of four four boys. So uh, sports was always in the family. I was the youngest. So I was the one that got beat up the most <laughs> growing up. Funny story is that I probably only got to sit in the front seat of the car when I was around about 14 or 15. That's how long I had to wait. So the youngest of, of your your four will definitely uh, know what that's all about as well. But uh, yeah, brought up in a sporty family, always sports going on in the backyard. So you know, I was brought up in South Africa. So lots of sports like cricket and rugby, all those Southern Hemisphere sports. Tennis was my first love. But in school, you know, I played six or seven sports, sometimes three, four and a half different sports in the afternoon. So I just go from one to the other. Wow. It was something I was really, really lucky about growing up was was that sports and still is a, a big thing in South Africa is that, you know, you, you finish school at one o'clock and then you play sports until, until six, seven in the evening. And then you come home and do your homework. So my background was a lot of sports. From a very young age, I wanted to be a champion. 
I remember, you know, drawing pictures in in school books and 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 you know making pictures at home and sticking them on the wall. I want to be a champion. And I remember even having a a Rocky Balboa photo that I cut out my face, <laughs> stuck it on Rocky Balboa's face. Yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, when he was fighting Ivan Drago. I love it. That is awesome. Yeah, because back in those days, we didn't have like all the, the fancy stuff we have today and Photoshopping. <laughs> Photoshop was cutting out a Kodak photo. That's just showing you my age and sticking it on top of, of another picture from a magazine. So, but, you know, Laura, that was already, I didn't know it back then, but already that was a seed that was planted in me of wanting to be a champion, of, of a vision, of wanting to stand on top of the podium. And... um Unfortunately, we couldn't afford to, with the tennis, with the coaching and all the expenses and so on and so forth. And any parents out there that are listening will know how expensive is sports becomes once you get to a certain level. It doesn't matter what sport it is, diving, gymnastics, it's the traveling, it's the fees, the, the coaches, etc. So took up running, became South African under 16 champion in 5K. And that's where my love for running and endurance sports started and eventually went on to become a... Um, a two-time national champion in duathlon, which is running and cycling, and was lucky to compete in five world championships. Oh, wow. That is very cool. Nothing like you, though. No, uh, no, no Olympic golds. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's a small group, you know, but like, like we were talking about before we started recording, it's not always the person on the, it's not just the person on the top of the podium that has worked hard and poured their blood, sweat and tears into this, you know, and as much as I've won, I've also been the person right off the podium, you know, as well. So I, I understand how that works. And it doesn't mean you didn't work as hard. Doesn't mean you weren't amazing. It's everybody at that level is so good. But you have now worked with like Olympians and Paralympians, world champions, Grand Slam champions. You also work with like Fortune 500 companies, NCAA colleges. So I want to know, I, I would love to know from your perspective, what are the biggest struggles that athletes are facing today? Like you've been doing this over 30 years. Has it changed or is it largely the same as when you were growing up? It has changed. And I mean, that's the great, great question um, that I actually haven't been asked on, on a podcast before. So the obvious struggles today are the ones with uh, social media and the challenges that today's athletes have, you know, especially with comparison is is a massive one as well, if, is that we see everybody else's journeys and they look perfect and it looks like everybody else is is, is doing all the right things and they're in all the right places and so on and so forth. And it's so easy for ourselves to say, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why am I not there? Why am I not progressing as quickly? And we all know that progress is different for every every single athlete. You know, sometimes you'll you'll have uh, spurts of growth. Sometimes you'll have spurts of of confidence, which helps, and so on and so forth. But we're all on a different journey. So number one is is to not compare yourself to somebody else. In fact, if you are going to, then be inspired by it. See it as okay. What are they doing? Maybe they're they're more coachable. Maybe they're they're you know spending a little bit more time working on certain things that that they need to improve on. These small little things. So be inspired by other people's success and other people's progress. But know that. Our journey is all different. So that's something that I spend a lot of time with today's athletes. I consult with some high schoolers. I consult with some college athletes where they compare themselves a lot to, to other athletes. So that would be uh, one of the big challenges today. I think looking back to 20, 25 years ago, we were almost like in a little bit of a cocoon or a, or a bubble, for example, where we would only know what was going on in your club and, and, and around you. And maybe you'd compete in state championships and so on and so forth. But today, you know, we're able to to watch live events 
you know, right now, tonight and tomorrow morning and so on. So we're able to know what's going on with the competition all the time and, and so on and so forth. So that that's changed as well. But in terms of what it takes to be a champion, and you'll know this very well as well, is that, you know, you can't get around the amount of time you've got to put in, the amount of hours, the amount of dedication. Now, something, Laura, I've never really believed in, and, and I wrote about this in, in my book, Champion Minded, was I don't believe that you sacrifice things. You know, you have a choice. For me, sacrifice was something that almost I was being told to do it. As were for me, it was a choice. And a commonality I see in great athletes and successful people is that they love what they do and they have a passion for what they do and they're, they're hungry to succeed. And that's something that nobody can give you. Nobody can make you hungry. No one can give you a passion. No one can tell you to enjoy it more. That really comes from within. But, you know, commonality is that they have a passion. They love what they do. And I think it's important to remember or important to know is that you're not going to love everything about it. You're not going to be jumping for joy at, at a quarter to, to five in the morning, getting out of bed. What? You're not? <laughs> <laughs> Especially jumping into a pool. You guys, the swimmers, the divers are always so, oh my gosh, how did they do that? I, you know, I'm dedicated maybe getting onto the road on the bike at five o'clock in the morning and, and so, but, but jumping into a pool. That's another level of, of like commitment right there. The trick is don't dip your toe in. Just just jump all in. You got to just be all in. And then, yeah, then it's over. <laughs> well, I think it was Bob Bowman, you know, Michael Phelps' coach who I chatted with a few months back. And, you know, I said to him, gosh, you know, swimmers, they're, they're so dedicated. They're so early in the pool. And he says, yeah, they're still half asleep. So they, they, they don't know what they're doing until they've... <laughs> jumped into the pool. <laughs> That's, I mean, probably true. Probably true. I, I love what you were saying, though, that it's this choice. It's not necessarily a sacrifice because I've had people tell me my whole career, you have sacrificed so much. And I'm like, when did I sacrifice something? You know, because to me, it was just always what I wanted to do. Like I, you know, I didn't necessarily always care about missing the, you know, floating down the river that weekend because I had a competition that I was really excited to go to, you know, like that, that was okay. You know, I didn't feel like, I missed out on things that I wanted to do. I was just choosing to do this thing and said, so I, I love the way you put that. I think that's super accurate and totally feeling the social media and comparison game that you're talking about. I know a lot of my young teammates, that's always a big concern. And some of the athletes that I coach now on their mindset and performance, I'm starting to dip my toe into the water there. Another reason I'm really excited to have you on. But one of the things they talk about is I, I see these people I'm competing against and I see where they're at and I see what they're doing. And I was like, well, actually, you're only seeing what they're posting. So you don't know when that was. You don't know how many times it took them to get that. You you have no idea the background of this video or this picture. You just know what's posted there. So you have no control over what they're doing. It's really, it's all about what you're choosing to do, the effort that you're putting in, what are your goals for yourself are, are independent from what that person is doing. So you can't compare your everyday to their perfection that they're posting because you have no idea what they're actually capable of. So it's almost deceptive in a way. It's kind of like back in the 90s or something when we're in this cocoon because you don't actually know what they're doing. You see little droplets of things, but it's hard to tell what's real. You know what I mean? Like, so somebody posts something great, but maybe they really had a crappy practice for two hours and they had one great thing happen, but you're thinking everything's going great. So it's, it's really kind of an illusion a bit, you know, and it can mess with your head for sure. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we talk about social media being like a highlight reel. You know, everybody's just putting on their, their great stuff, but you don't see the other 95% of it. And um, I always love following people or, or, or social media accounts where they're really genuine. You know, you see their bloopers, you see their mistakes. And, you know, that's what we connect with because 
that's that's human it's human to fail it's human to make mistakes it's human to get things wrong i still do you know every single day and and you know that's once you accept that once you change your relationship with failure once you change your relationship with you know not always being perfect it's impossible to be perfect then you know you change your relationship with with what you what you're doing and you you begin to enjoy it more mm-hmm. you know i'm sure it, you know as well that perfection is also a big thing as well in in elite elite athletes and you do need a certain element of perfection to be great in something because it is that pursuit of wanting to be better and wanting to be better however how do you control that perfection how do you not allow perfection to take over the enjoyment of what you're doing because the more you enjoy something the more you want to do it and this is something that in my career as well i would beat myself up about things you know even if i won a race why didn't I win it by a bigger margin? These type of questions, like I should be winning that by three minutes, not by two minutes. Just, you know, these these things that just stole my joy and, and so on. So, yeah, it's very interesting. But just getting back to the sacrifice thing, and you mentioned something very, very key there is that, you know, they don't see what's going on in the background. But, you know, I remember I was working with a professional tennis player a few years back, and we were in Stanford uh, for a tournament, and it was a professional tournament. And I thought, you know, let's have a very early practice, especially tennis players. They go to practice at about 10 in the day. That's usually the time they get up. They have a slow breakfast. Lazy bones. <laughs> yeah, no, completely different to us endurance athletes. And, and you know, I, I put you in the endurance category because. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not doing the laps. I'm just doing the quick, quick flips off of there. <laughs> yeah, I put you in the endurance category because of the time that you guys would get up as well. That's also like in that category of, of dedication. But booked an early practice at 7, 7.30 in the morning when no one would usually be there. And I remember parking the car and hearing balls getting thumped, thinking, that's interesting. Who's here so early? And it was Serena Williams. Mm. And Serena was at, was at the court first. And here I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm here with my player. We're going to be the first ones here this morning practicing. And by the time we get back to the hotel or to the tournament site, you know, the other players would only be arriving. But, you know, Serena had already been in there an hour with her coach and he was just feeding ball after ball after ball. And those are the things that people don't see. They see the bright lights. They see the, you know, the US Open, the matches. They don't see that these players are out there, you know, before anybody else. Mm-hmm. For sure. I love that. Well, I, you know, been kind of looking over some of these books you've written. You've written five awesome books. And one of them I really want to talk about first is champion minded. Obviously that's going to appeal to me as an Olympic champion who hosts a podcast called the pursuit of gold. (laughs) But, um, you know, I just, I love that the subtitle is an athlete's guide to achieving excellence in sports and life, because I really believe deeply that that champion mindset goes way beyond the playing field. And those things we learn in sport about being a champion also apply to our life. So can you tell us a little bit about this book, Champion Minded? I'm sure there's so much to it, but if you could maybe point out some some great lessons or some great highlights about it. Yeah, well, being, and it's showing my age here, but, you know, being a teenager in the 90s and competing, it was very, very hard pre-internet to obtain information on sports psychology and so on and so forth. Now, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was the brightest kid in school. I didn't have the best grades, so I needed simplicity. And it's also one of the reasons why these books are, are written so simple is because that's the way I would think as well in terms of solutions is simplicity over complexity. It was always very hard back then to just find simple solutions. You know, what do you do against an opponent who cheats? What do you do when you're nervous? What do you do an hour before an event? All these questions I had, 
And, you know, today it's so easy just to go online and just type in something and there'll be, you know, especially on YouTube, there'll be 30,000 online coaches uh, ready to help you and so on and so forth. So it was, it was very difficult back then. So I just wanted something with practical solutions. I didn't really need to know how the left side of the brain thought. I, need, I wanted to know how do I handle nerves before I stand on the start line of a race? And I'm sure, you know, it's the same for, for you as well when you're younger standing on, on that board controlling the nerves and just taking in the whole moment, for example, those are the answers I needed when I was, a, when I was a kid, when I was a junior. And um, it, that's what gave me the inspiration was to write a book that was simple. The, the chapters are very short. They're, you know, two, three pages per chapter of simple solutions of those questions that, it, or those questions I was just talking about, you know, how do you handle nerves? How do you handle pressure moments? Uh, what do you think when when you're feeling negative? How do you change negative thoughts? All these these simple little things. So that was one of the inspirations to writing the book. Another inspiration was, um, you know, you don't need to be the most talented. You don't need to be the most skilled athlete out there. But when you bring what we call about those, or what we call the zero, the things that require zero talent, things like your attitude, your work ethic, your commitment, being on time, doing the extra work, all these small little things of how that can make you a great athlete as well. That gave me the inspiration to to write the book. Is that become brilliant, become the best at the things that require zero talent, and uh, that's how Champion Minded was really was really born. Well, I love it, and I love some of the things you you talk about on there, and you really talk about it all starts with having a vision. Explain that to me. For myself, I can use myself as an example is that I had that vision when I was seven, eight years old of being a tennis champion. And then, you know, being a champion and having the Rocky picture, for example, that, that's a vision already. You know, if you look at videos of, of a young Novak Djokovic, the tennis player, or Michael Phelps, you'll see that they were talking about wanting to be a champion or being, you know, Novak. There's an, a famous interview of Novak. It's on YouTube as well, where he was seven years old, or eight years old, holding his tennis racket, which was pretty much bigger than him, <laughs> and saying, I want to be number one in the world. And that's where it really all starts, is having that vision of having something far greater than yourself to to work towards. And that was something that really helped me through the days where I lacked motivation. And, you know, this is important to know as well is that you might love something, but you're still going to go through dips in motivation and and doubt and so on and so forth, especially after a poor performance. You're not always going to feel like a million dollars. You're not always going to jump out of bed in the morning and, and can't wait to go to practice. It's It's impossible, no matter how dedicated or passionate you are. So for me, it was that vision or that purpose of wanting to be a champion one day, wanting to be the best I could be. That's what got me through those tougher days, so to say, the colder days or, you know, you just spoke about there as well, like it maybe be a, a birthday party on Friday evening or so on. And, and I'm not saying don't go to birthday parties, of course, but maybe there was a race that morning, an event that morning, Saturday morning, where I chose the event over the, the birthday party on the Friday. It was a choice. It wasn't a sacrifice for me. So, you know, those are the small little choices and differences you see in why some kids progress further than others. And, you know, it's a choice again, you know, that's fine. If, if you prefer birthday parties and so on, that's completely your choice. But for me, because I had that vision, it drove me to make those choices. Mm -hmm. I, and I was similar too. I mean, I, I watched the Olympics when I was like eight years old and I saw Mary Lou Retton do her perfect 10 vault, you know, much like we've seen Simone Biles do in recent years. And, you know, I was like, I want to be that. And I want to stand on the top of the podium, but 
I realized I wasn't going to be a very good gymnast by about 13, you know, and, uh, but I still had that vision and that, that desire to go to the Olympics and stand on top of the podium. So darn it, I was going to find a way to get there. And so I tried a whole bunch of different sports until I found another one that was similar to gymnastics diving. You know, it took me a couple of years, but I found that it was like, okay, I think I could excel here, you know, and, and that same vision and that same desire was there. It just, it's kind of like, you know, they say when you have a goal, you know, and if you might have to change the plan to get there, but don't change the goal, you know, and that's very much what that looked like that vision. I didn't change that at all. I just had to find another Avenue in order to get there. I love that. That's very interesting. And, and obviously, I'm taking this opportunity to actually ask you questions, <laughs> questions on here, even though I'm the guest. I love it. But of course, I mean, spending time with someone as successful as yourself, I want to take advantage of that. When for you, did you start to feel that that feeling of wanting to be a champion? Was it you said you started off in gymnastics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very young. Not too long after I started, I really, you know, it was like, I want to get on the team. I want to be like this girl. I want to be at that level. And then, you know. And that came from you, not your parents or anything. That red drive was really from you. Just totally me. Yeah. My parents were pretty hands off for the most part. And especially, especially once I was diving too. I mean, it was just like, I think, and that's, I think the best thing that they did for me is they were like, we'll be there to cheer you on, but this is all you, you know, like my mom would help me if I had to wake up early for a morning workout, like she would make sure I was up, you know, but it was up to me to get in the car and like drive myself there. You know, I had to do that, you know, and I had to pick up two people along the way at 430 in the morning in order to try to get there before some of my teammates. So we had to turn to, you know, be on this certain apparatus, you know, before we had to drive back to school because it started at 730 in the morning, you know, it was, it was crazy. So they, they helped me when I needed it, but they were also very, much in the background, just cheering me on the whole time, you know? And that, I think that was such a gift because I had to learn to fall on my own. I had to learn to pick myself back up. But I also, I think I had a great example. Like my dad is super just, he's that kind of guy like, well, I don't know how to do this. So I just need to figure it out. Like he just, he would figure out how to do anything. And I, and it wasn't him telling me that it was me watching him year after year, do different projects and learn how to, I mean, bought a boat one year, learned how to sail. He got his pilot's license. You know, he was always doing something crazy and just figuring it out. He made, before GPS was a thing, he had taken an old laptop, downloaded all these maps and and bolted it to his dashboard thing inside of his van so he could see where he was going. Like, he just was like, well, there's got to be a way to do this. So let's make a way. And so I think watching somebody live that out is way more powerful than just hearing somebody tell you to do that, you know? And I, it, he would try and he'd fail a lot, but I, you know, if he kept trying, he'd do it. Now he's obviously real big into the YouTube videos. He's like, this is much easier. I can find a video for anything, you know? So he's, uh, he's now got an 80 acre farm and he's learning to be a farmer. So, and he's almost 80 years old now. So he's, yeah, he's never going to stop. <laughs> that's fascinating. I mean, that's uh, in- incredible to hear, but I was the same as well. Um, my parents were just too busy with work, not because they were driven to be successful in work but because they basically they had to put food on the table you know we were uh you know again four boys and and uh, they just didn't have time to you know both worked uh full day they didn't have time to sit at events we would get dropped off and fight your own battles you got any problems that's your problem right uh, and and you know that's what helped me you know grow up and and learn how to to cope with with life, uh, so to say, and I'm very, very grateful now for it. You know, they they would do their best to come to an event now and then, but would never get involved. Would always be that parent far away from the um, the side of the track or, or or whatever. And I knew they were there, which would be nice, but that was it. 
Yeah. And yeah, I think there's definitely like the balance, like, the, you know, I'm sure they like probably talked to you if you had problems, like they were probably there after the event to be there for you. But, you know, cause it's something, and I kind of want to touch on this as a perfect lead. And there's some parents that are always asking me, like, how do I motivate my kid? How do I make sure they're working hard and that they're passionate? And I'm like, you know, you can't give someone motivation. Like it has to come from inside them. And I found a quote that you had, it just says motivation doesn't come from passion. It comes from having a vision and a purpose, much like what we're talking about. And you can't make someone have that. You can't push them to the point of having that. It has to come from inside, right? You can definitely contribute to the environment. You can definitely contribute to the enjoyment of the whole process by being that parent. You know, it's it's important as a parent to understand your role. And of course, you know, you pay the bills, you're the taxi, you're the Uber driver, you're all these things. But, you know, it's very important to understand that it is your kid's journey and they get to choose how good they want to be at the end of the day. And if you can put all the, the things in place that they need with regards to the right coaching, the right positive environment, you know, you want them to have an environment where they're growing up as, as honest, respectful, good kids that are going to be good adults one day. You know, that's the best thing that you can give them, the best opportunity you can give them. But at the end of the day, like you mentioned there, uh, Laura, you know, it has to come from within. You can't make somebody passionate. You can't make somebody, you know, do something that they don't necessarily want to do. And, um, you know, I, I, a kid, just for example, like you spoke about as well, you were the one that drove your bus. You're the one that drove your, your desire to be a great athlete one day, you know, making the choice to be there earlier, making the choice to do the extra work, for example, you know, that has to come from within. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's something that it goes back. I like that you said it, parents can create that environment and, and make sure they're in the good atmosphere so that they can do all of those things. I think that's super important. I also, I want to kind of like veer off a little bit here because, and this is as a parent, um, learning how to motivate my own kids, but not be like in the way and trying to, you know, learn this balance from what I've learned, but implementing that for my kids as well. Cause it's as a parent, it's, sometimes really hard not to step in and try to save the day because you want to protect your kids too and you want to help them. But a lot of times we have to let them learn how to fall down so that they can learn how to get back up, right? Like when a baby is learning how to walk, you're not just every time you shouldn't be like hovering over them and like, oh, you're okay. Like you, they need to just learn that it's okay to fall. They need to learn how to get back up on their own. You know, something that's been kind of difficult for me as an individual athlete, my oldest daughter is in a team sport. And so that's kind of way outside of my knowledge base, I guess. It's just very different. There's a lot of similarities, obviously, but there's, because I, I still as an individual athlete, I was on a team and my team was super important in a lot of ways, but being part of a team is very different. And I remember I roomed with a water polo player at some events and she was awesome. She was amazing. Brenda Villa, she's won multiple, multiple Olympic medals. And I remember one time she even told me that she was more excited about a bronze medal they won than a silver because they had won the bronze, but lost the gold. And I was like, whoa, I've never even thought of that. That's so different from you know, my individual, like, it's just about my performance. Like, it's such a different concept to me. And I know you've written a book also on becoming a great team player. You've written a lot of amazing books. So I, I'd really love if you could tell us a little bit about that difference between individual athletes and team athletes and kind of what are some of the really important things about being a team player, maybe on both sides of that fence? Yeah, I think definitely as, as a kid, it's important that, or as a parent, I should say that you give your kids the opportunity to, to, participate in both individual sports or, or activities and also team activities as well because it develops two two sides of of your personality as well your ability to to socialize your ability to get on along with others to work together with others which is an important factor in life 
and then the ability to fig- to to problem solve and figure out things yourself, which a, a individual sport does, for example. Obviously, there comes a stage that, you know, if you are progressing and becoming very good in, in one particular area, you'd have to make that choice, whatever age that may be, to individualize and not um, specialize in a sport. For example, there, be, there comes that time, there comes that stage. Obviously, it's different in sports like figure skating, diving, maybe gymnastics, where you have to make that choice pretty early. As where in other sports, team sports, you can make it a little bit later. We've seen some multi-sport athletes in basketball or baseball or soccer that they can make those choices a little bit later, like 14, 15, 16, where that fork in the road starts to happen. But I think both as as a parent, giving your kid the ability to play both individual sports and and, uh, team sports is, is a great start for them as well. Sport is also a reflection of your personality as well. If I if I look back at endurance sports of why I did individual sports is because I enjoyed being by myself. I enjoyed working things out, enjoyed going for rides for four or five hours by myself. Introvert. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I don't enjoy other people as well. I would. I would enjoy it when we do, you know, national teams, when we go to world championships and there'd be six of us or it would be like exciting because, gosh, I'm usually by myself nine months of the year. Now, now I'm in a team activity, for example. So that was exciting, but learning how to work together with others, learning team dynamics are incredibly important as a kid and and, and moving on in, into college and, and so on and so forth. We know that that companies today, I think there was an article in the Harvard Business Review a, f- a few years ago speaking about the fact that, you know, companies are looking former athletes who who were in, in team sports and in college and so on and so forth, who played team sports and, and sports in college, because they have those qualities of being able to work together and and have uh, chemistry in a team, for example. So, uh, yeah, I was sometimes a little bit jealous when when I was competing as an individual, you know, just wondering, oh, it must be so nice to be part of a team and and share the responsibility of of a defeat or or whatever, because when you're in an individual sport, it's all on you. Mm, that's true. Well, you know, we have um, synchronized diving now. So that's where two athletes can go at the same time. And so that kind of came in right when I started diving. So we had a little bit of a team aspect. And now sometimes there's events where they'll have multiple athletes, like, you know, sharing their scores together for a team event. But so we had a a little dabble in it. And, you know, I loved it because it was more fun. Like you got to actually interact with somebody during the event and like have a strategy and a like you got to work with somebody. And that was pretty cool, especially when you like got to know that person really well and your and your personalities mesh well but there was like from the in like the individual side of me I'd feel very guilty if I did bad and I let my teammate down because I wasn't used to this like sink or swim together you know this very togetherness it was like I screwed up for you I didn't do that you I did that wrong for you but then if somebody like if the other teammate ever messed up I never felt bad that they messed up you know what I mean I just felt okay that I did my part well (laughs) like it was it's funny how like I, I had to really get used to that it was such a foreign concept for me you know what? That's something very interesting because I was actually just chatting to someone about that this morning. I play pickleball, mm-hmm. which is uh, a sport that's taking off in India. That's the new craze. Yeah. 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 I, I love it. I took it up about three months ago. Um, and then coming from a tennis background, it's a little bit easier. But so we play doubles. I get more upset with myself and it affects my game. And here I am, someone that writes about champion minded and being positive. <laughs> you don't want to see me on a pickleball court. You would say that guy writes positive books. There's no chance that guy. I, you know what? You know what? I don't even tell the people that I play with sometimes what I do because I'm too embarrassed that they'll think well, he writes books on sports psychology. He needs help himself. 
So here's the thing is I get upset with myself because I don't want to let my partner down. Yes. I'm not bothered if my partner messes up. That's fine. I'm like, don't worry. All good. Cool. Next point. If I mess up, I'm thinking about my partner. Like, and it's just funny that you take it on yourself. Mm-hmm. It is funny, but, but I, I love that accountability aspect because trying to do well for someone else, like we, we have found over the years, like watching people, sometimes you'll have like, you know, average divers, maybe they're not the best individual divers, but when you put these two kind of average to good divers together, they become this amazing synchronized team. And I think there's like that level of accountability when you're part of a team that you, you want to raise your level because you don't want to disappoint that person because you're doing it for more than just yourself. And so do you find that in like bigger team sports as well, that that accountability, uh, I, I don't know if that's what you call it, but you know, if, if that is something that really enables these teams to gel and do like extraordinarily well when maybe all the players themselves aren't individually the best? There's a few dynamics that need to come together there to to make a great team function. And one is where, you know, there's not necessarily any superstars. Everybody is treated the same. Everybody's equal. Everybody plays an important part. You know, the, the goalkeeper is just as important as as the striker or, or the left back, for example, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, in great teams, you'll find uh, high collaboration, good team chemistry, a high support system as well psychological safety where it's it's okay to mess up you know you're not going to get in trouble you're not going to get dropped for it for example and that's where players can express themselves more where they're not afraid to make mistakes and you know i had some fascinating interviews on uh with athletes and former athletes uh, you being one as well for my new book and it was sarah harini who's the all blacks ladies rugby captain and she was just talking about that the fact that you know when players feel good in a team when they, when there's collaboration, when there's psychological safety, they're able to express their talents more. They're able to make to express their skills more without the fear of making a mistake, without the fear of dropping the ball, of what's going to happen if I drop the ball, I've messed up. And that's where you see great things happen is where there's that type of freedom to express yourself without the fear of making a mistake. That's really powerful. Wow. I was also thinking about like kind of a comparison, like you know, the 1980 hockey team was kind of this notoriously, like they didn't take all the best players. You know, he picked the players that were really good at those positions that could work well together. And they did this extraordinary thing, you know, defeating the Soviets and all of that. But then you look at like, I think it was the 2004 men's basketball team, U.S. men's basketball team that we sent to the Olympics. It was all these all-star NBA players that were all great but didn't know how to work together. And they got a bronze, which I mean, is still amazing, but like for what they were expected to do, it was this like kind of considered a massive failure. And so it's really interesting that I love that you talked about having the freedom to be yourself and to not worry about making a mistake, but to work together. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, parents play a massive role in that and coaches play a massive role in that is how do you respond to mistakes? How do you respond to failure? And uh, a lot of the times, Laura, I'll have parents call me and say, oh, you've got to help my kid. They get so nervous at this and that. And they'll say, well, majority of the time, it's actually coming from their surroundings of why they feel nervous, of why they feel pressured to do something is because of the consequences and the car ride home and all these things that can affect their performance. Because you might not know it, but if you know, you're getting into it on the car ride home or straight away when they at the dinner table, you know, they're already thinking about that in the pool or on the court or on the track or on the floor, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if if I mess this up? What's going to happen afterwards? They're already there. They're not in that moment. And you know, that's that's so important is that most of the time, 
it's actually the parents that I need to spend more time with than the actual kid themselves. Isn't that interesting? Parents, take note, listen up. <laughs> well, you you also write a lot and speak a lot on leadership. And so I would love, I love leadership talk. Um, and I want to know why you think it might be important for athletes to develop those leadership skills. You know, leadership is something where, you know, the first person you need to lead is yourself. So all those aspects which require self-discipline and having a good attitude and high work ethic. And, you know, as we spoke about the things that require zero talent, of which can can get you further in life, that's what comes down to self-leadership. You, know, you can't lead others if you're not leading yourself effectively, first of all, as well. And nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes and so on and so forth. But I think one of the biggest areas of self-improvement and being able to lead yourself better is self-reflection and the ability to look at yourself and see where you can get better, where you can improve. It's also good to have honest people around you that are able to give you the truth. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a lot of people. It could be one or two people that you really trust. It's something I do where they're able to tell you, hey, look, maybe you don't see it, but you're, you know, the way you spoke to that person today was maybe not appropriate. I know you were stressed in a rush, so on and so forth, but it helps me reflect on on those things to become a better person, to become better at what I do, for example. So, you know, there's three questions I like to ask myself at the end of each day, and it's become a habit. I used to journal it. I now actually just think about it. And it's what did I do well today? Because that will help with my confidence. And this is something where I help athletes with and, and even people in the corporate world or, or education world that I help as well, where it's so easy to beat yourself up. And especially high performers are good at beating themselves up. You know, we spoke about perfectionists is that they're always just busy with, with uh, you know, what's wrong. And um, to help your confidence, to help your, your self-esteem, it's good to recognize what you're doing well. So on a daily basis, what did I do well today? Second question is, what could I have done better today? That could have been a conversation I had. That could have been an activity that I did. Maybe I could have put a better effort in, but I, I didn't. I rushed it, whatever it could be. And then the third one is, who did I make better today? Because that is linked to my greater vision and purpose is making other people better. It's something you're doing on the podcast, for example, is that we're giving people the ability to learn and listen and share. And this is why I love being on podcasts is I get to, to learn and, and listen and interact with people such as yourself. So yeah, when it comes to leadership, the most important person to lead is yourself. How do you become a uh, better at that? Through self-reflection. I think that's great. I actually created a, a journal called the Confidence Journal, and um, they're quick hits, they're quick takeaways, like how to prepare for the day and what you're taking away. And every day, yeah, it's like there's a win for today. If it's the best day or the worst day, you're going to find a win in what happened today. And what did you learn? Like, you have to learn a lesson. Like, there's got to be a lesson in, in everything that you're doing, or what's the point? You know, if you, if you, <laughs> people usually say, like, you win or you learn, you know, but even in winning, like, you can learn from that as well. Like you said, it's never going to be perfect. So, what could be better? You know, was I gracious to the people who got second? Like, how did I act? You know, I always love those quotes, like, you know, I want to win, but if I can't, I want to stand by and cheer as the winners go by. Like, let's have that kind of, you know, leadership and the attitudes. Um, I know you talk a lot about attitude and how you present yourself. And I think that's all part of, of leadership and becoming, again, not just a champion in your field of play, but a champion in life, because that's going to take you so much farther for sure. Yeah. That's something I encourage, you know, coaches as well is, is to develop leadership in your teams, regardless of what age they are. And leadership starts with accountability. So being accountable for being on time, being accountable for bringing your coming prepared with the right equipment 
and so on and so forth, warming up well, all these small things instead of waiting to be asked to do it or whatever. That, those are, are small acts of self-leadership when we talk about athletes, mm-hmm. kids as well, you know, helping your parents to prepare things before you head out in the morning, you know, make sure you have your things. I don't just wait for mom or, or, or dad to do it for you. You know, those are small acts of leadership. Yes. <laughs> Please don't make me do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a small acts of leadership you can teach. I love that. So let's move on to coaches then, because I mean, obviously that, that is someone like you're saying can help develop those leadership skills early in the young athletes, but what kind of leadership do the coaches themselves need to develop? I think authenticity is a massive one in, in being a coach and being your authentic best self is important. Otherwise, you know, people will, will read right through you as the coach. They don't buy into your skills, your drills, your exercises, they buy into you the person first. So to develop that trust, to develop those relationships, to develop those connections, it's important that they get to know you as a person first and know that you really genuinely care for them, not just as an athlete, not just your results, but actually as a person as well. So fostering relationships is important, not just with the the athlete, but with the family. You know, when you're working as a coach and you're working with a kid, you're working with the family. First of all, the parents are paying the bills as well. They're the ones that bring them along to the practices and to the events and so on and so forth. So it's important to develop a, a relationship with them to stay open-minded, understand that every parent just wants the best for their kid at the end of the day. Understand that not every parent is educated in terms of how to be a sports parent. So don't just assume that they know. That is our job as coaches as well, is to educate on how to be a better sports parent. And sometimes different parents have to be approached differently on how that comes across. So, you know, these are these are the duties of a coach and not just coaching a sport, putting together a program, some exercises, drills, for example. It's much, much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Well, I love that you talked about the authenticity and the relationship because that's, I mean, that's for life too. And I know you talk to a lot of non-athletic groups but I love using I love using the sports metaphors for when I speak to non-athletic groups as well, because like sports are just such a black and white way to see things. Right. There's rules and this is a result and this is what happens. But in life, it's like everything is gray. And so I think being able to use those sports analogies in life, translating those lessons into life as well, I think is is super important. So when you coach people that are outside of the sporting world, do you guide them the same way you would an athlete or a coach, or is it like wildly different? Very similar, very, very similar indeed. And and um, my book, Lead with Purpose, Make an Impact, has a lot of analogies from the sports world and vice versa. So even when I work with athletes, I'll give them examples of, of people from the corporate world or people from the entertainment world, you know, because a lot of the times they just hear the same stories from the sports world or, or whatever. So it's nice for them to understand other other areas in life as well is that, you know, excellence really does come down to the same things, the same attributes, the same dedication, hard work. Uh, You spoke about vision, which is great in the beginning, Uh, all these things. It really all comes down to the same thing as when you're chasing excellence. And I think that's something as well that I feel I've changed in the last few years in terms of my view towards success and my view towards excellence. And, you know, I don't want to play around with words here, but for me, success the, the real definition of that is more external as in, you know, what I have, what you see from the outside, what culture thinks is successful, a nice house, a car, a watch, whatever it is. As for excellence, I believe is something that should, is, is more personal as in the pursuit of something greater than yourself. 
I believe that, that great coaches, great leaders are more about excellence than about success. So, you know, I really try to get driven by success in terms of what's important to me. How can I make others better? Excellence is about fulfillment. Is this fulfilling me? That, that for me is, is what it's all about. That's cool. I like that take. That's very cool. Yeah, you said excellence is an attitude is like your favorite quote, right? Yeah, I even got a few t-shirts printed with that on. Yeah, I, I love that. Nice. That's a good one. I mean, and it's a mindset too. <laughs> I love it. Well, in today's world, it feels like people, to me at least, and maybe it's always been this way, but I feel like people are taking less and less responsibility for their own actions or results like failures or successes. And they're, they're just quick to point the finger. Like it wasn't me. It was this, it was that, it was the other, and, you know, and maybe it's always been that way. I just feel like it's, it's more prevalent in our culture, like not just in sports, but everywhere right now. But you have a great quote that says the biggest barrier to our own success is often ourselves. So will you explain that to us? Yeah, I don't know if I should take credit for that for that quote. To be honest, I probably stole it from somewhere else. So, <laughs> but it is. I, it's a quote that I do, I do like. But yeah, sometimes we we get in the way of our own our own success. We get in the way of of what we can achieve. It can be by various things, but through doubt, negative self talk. I think is a very big one as well. Comparison. We spoke about these are barriers that can get in the way of our success. Fail of failure. What will other people think? all these things which can get in the way of us becoming our best selves. And again, that's why I think it's important is that when you change your relationship with failure, when you change your relationship with making mistakes and not getting it right, and you know, it really comes down to a, a growth mindset if we really had to, had to put it down to one thing, is that learning through your mistakes, learning through your wins, as you mentioned, learning through your losses, when you can change that relationship and parents play a big role in this in their kids and how they foster their mindsets, of like you said, okay, you lost. What did you learn? What would you do better next time? What was something you did well you felt, even though you know it feels like the end of the world after a defeat or after a loss? But you know, these are important questions to ask instead of berating them about the mistake they made or or whatever it may be. That's what creates fear. That's what creates, as we spoke about, why a kid can lose focus is because they're already thinking about what's going to happen after the event while they're actually still in the event. That's why your kid freezes or gets nervous or so on and so forth is the things that we can say. And again, you know, this is not about calling out parents by any means, but this is us about becoming better at what we do and providing the best platform. So um, getting out of our own way is sometimes the best way to become our best selves and being okay with failure. That's important. Yeah. And I love you touched on it kind of earlier too, when we were talking about the comparison thing, like instead of looking at them, like how come they're so good, whatever, but it's like, well, how can I get to that level or how can I change what I'm doing or what are they maybe doing that I need to learn? You know? And I think it's, it's, again, it's just changing those little dials in your head, just tweaking what you're telling yourself, you know, to have, instead of this, like you're already defeated kind of attitude and mindset about it, but like, how can I get to that level? How can I become more like almost turn it into a question, you know, to like help yourself, encourage yourself to get up there and, and get out there, not get in your way, but actually help yourself overcome whatever it is that's becoming a barrier. Absolutely. I'm going to take this opportunity to, to ask you a question. So I'm very, very interested in, you know, when, when I watch diving and I've consulted with actually at one or two colleges here in the United States uh, to, to diving programs, not on how to dive, <laughs> more on team culture. Well, I'm looking for a synchro partner. You want to come jump off with me? <laughs> no, I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think that would be a good idea for some reason. <laughs> my, no, gosh, I mean, my swimming is bad enough just to stay above the water, but. Well, we only have 
have to doggy paddle to the side. You don't have to be a good swimmer. You just got to jump off the 30 foot platform. <laughs> I wouldn't even put money on myself to get to the side, to be honest. So, <laughs> so my question to you is when I look at a sport like diving where, gosh, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm speaking to you, but the, the respect I have of, first of all, even just standing on dry land or just standing just on, on whatever, you're nervous before an event and it's okay. So let's get things something straight. Every athlete gets nervous no matter what level they're at. Gold medalist, uh -huh. Roger Federer, I've seen him in, in the locker room a few times when I've worked with pro players. They're nervous. You can see they're nervous. Uh, so there, there you have a 20-time Grand Slam champion who still gets nervous. Rafa Nadal, all these people. But when you're standing on the edge of a of the board, you know, waiting to dive and it's quiet in the arena and so on and so forth. What was going through your mind like just 10 seconds before you jump or how did you control that moment? Well, I have a really funny story before I tell you the answer to that. So my first like huge meet, it was in New York City. It was Goodwill Games. I was like 20 years old. I guess I've been to one big meet before, but this was like live on television. It was in New York City, like 4,000 people in the stands. It was like a really intense atmosphere. And I was terrified for a number of reasons. But I remember like walking out to the end, getting ready to do a dive and not really thinking about the audience or or the the volume of things. I just kind of thought I was, you know, in my head doing my thing. And then somebody dropped a plastic cup and I could just hear it spinning like it does, you know, when it rolls around. And I was like, oh, it's so quiet in here. But like, I didn't even think about it until I heard that cup drop, you know. But I love what you're saying. Yes, athletes at every level get nervous. And and I, I love to tell athletes that that I'm working with because nerves just mean it's important to you. That's all that nerves mean. They're not bad. They're not your enemy. They're actually really good. It means this is important to you. And you've got a little extra adrenaline to work with. You just need to know how to work with it. And so for me personally, like in the heat of a me, you know, when, when we're nervous, we have we're kind of a little bit like golf. Like we have like the second, two second action. And then we have all this time to wait and think about it in between, you know, for better, for worse. Yeah. And so when most of my nerves don't come right on the end of the board, it's, it's way before I get there. So, you know, it's either listening to music, calming myself down, like going through something I've done different things. It depends on my mood. Like I'm, I have routines, but I'm willing to change them because I don't want to get stuck in a superstitious kind of cycle, you know, so I'll, I'll kind of work with myself on how I'm feeling jumping around, sometimes just physical activity, like doing a couple big jumps helps lower, you know, your heart rate and things like that. Big, deep breaths, you know, and so as I'm going up, you know, I'll talk to my coach and I'm, I'm walking up the stairs. It's kind of this whole process. I'm, I'm doing all my thinking back there. You know, I'm doing all my thinking before they call my name. Like, what am I going to do? What are these two actions I'm going to focus on? I can't think about 15 different things in a second and a half. I have to think about like two things that I can actually do. And then when they call my name and I walk out to the end at that point, I just have to let it all go. Like I've done all the thinking, I've done all the work. I can't do any more, but just enjoy this moment like this. And so over the years, you know, I just kind of developed this thing of I'm going to enjoy the competition, however it goes, because whether I get a medal or not, whether it goes great or not, like I can make great memories and enjoy the process of what I'm doing and diving's really freaking cool. And so getting to do this thing, like I've just got to enjoy that. And so I think that's helped me or at least helped me develop that kind of thought process in it. So when I get to the end, that's, that's just my moment to just enjoy it and just kind of let it happen, get out of my own way and just let it happen. Did you enjoy competition days? I loved them. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Like I, I'm, I'm a total natural competitor. Like, and I know I, I, there's definitely ones that are like way intense, but I love that. I love the pressure. I love all of that. I love learning how to calm myself down. I love being in the middle of it. 
but I'm also a person who loves the daily grind and I love the hunt. You know what I mean? I love just, I have these big goals and these big dreams, but sometimes when you get to competition day, there's a little bit of sadness. Like there's, there's that, I want to know how this ends. Cause I've been going after it for so long. Like I kind of want to know the result. I just want it to be over. But then there's the part of me that gets sad because I love the buildup to it. I love working hard. I love the ups and downs. I love growing and changing. Like I love the pursuit because I know that's where you make the memories is on the journey. Like that's the stuff that you take with you. Like you get on top of the podium. I mean, it's awesome. I've done it all over the world, you know, but it, it lasts two seconds and you're done and that's it. Did you know that while you were competing or did you only realize that more after you'd, you'd retired? During the process. I mean, I, I was competitive for like 15 years on the world stage. I won the Olympics just six years into my career. So, you know, it was kind of like the beginning, middle of my career. So I was figuring it out kind of on the way. But definitely after I, I took nine years off and then I came back to training at 39 years old, which is really weird, but I'm not normal. So it's okay. But I, I think that was at the time that I really started to put it all together. Like I knew all the things, but like putting it together for myself and to teach other people, you know, it's been a really cool process. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, thanks. I know I've never been interviewed so much on my own show. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I have to get you on my podcast. So, I mean, this is uh, just a warm up. I love that. It's perfect. So on that note, like what kind of final words of wisdom would you have for up and coming athletes that are currently striving to hit their biggest goals? Like we want to give them inspiration, but also resources and tools. So what kind of parting words would you have for our athletes listening? Enjoy it. That's the most important thing. And I know that's very hard when, you know, you're in, in the middle of it and especially when things aren't going well, but the journey is the most important thing about it. The time with teammates, the time practicing, the early workouts, maybe the things that you dread a little bit now, the traveling, the, you know, the meals with your teammates, all these things, you know, really enjoy that because one day they won't be there anymore. So that would be the first bit of advice. The second one is well, all the hard work and no matter what level you get to, no matter what your destiny is, it will never go um, unused. It, it will always be be worthwhile because these are qualities that you learn in sports that will help you afterwards in your relationships and in business and corporate, whatever direction you go into. So, you know, as you know, as well, Laura, these are, these are all qualities that you will use in other areas of your life will be of massive benefit. So regardless of what level you, you get to, and at the end, you know, it's all on you. Your coaches can't make you better. They can provide the tools, the information, the knowledge. Your parents can provide the support and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's it's all on you. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, have no regrets in terms of, oh, oh, if I'd have done this more, if I'd worked harder, if I'd committed myself to this, you know, have no regrets because especially an athletic career at a high level, at the highest level is very short. It can be very short. In fact, sometimes, you you know, a lot of the times athletes don't get to choose when their final race or competition is. Sometimes your body chooses it for you where it just says no more. So, you know, those, those would be the things. Really enjoy the journey. All these things will be of great use to you after your sports career. And at the end of the day, it's all on you. I love that. So well said. Well, where, where Alistair, can we find you online, buy your books, continue to be inspired from you and learn from you? Oh, well, thank you again so much. I mean, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And again, it's not every day you get get to be on an Olympic gold medalist <laughs> podcast. So I'm really, uh, really, really grateful. But uh, yes, um, Amazon is where you can get all my books. I'm really excited that a new book is coming out soon in the end of November 2022. Uh, Habits that make a champion. Yes, 
featuring Laura Wilkinson as well in there. So thank you for that contribution. Of course. I love Twitter. I'm active on Twitter at Alistair McCaw on Champion Minded, Be Champion Minded. I think those are definitely the, the three areas that I'm uh, most, uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm active on Amazon, my book's there, but <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link to those uh, sites in the show notes so people can find you easy. Alistair, thank you so much for coming on today and really bringing to life what it is to think, act, and live like a champion. Thank you so much. It's been really cool. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.